This is a real honor to be here today. Uh, we feel we're present at a historic event. You've uh, listened today and heard about the significant changes that are taking place with respect to the circulation of information, uh, with respect to copyright, with respect to teaching. In John's uh, presentation in the morning, he said, uh, when we go through breakthrough changes, incremental adjustments are insufficient. And what we want to stress to you today is that, in fact, we have gone through a paradigm shift. The paradigm shift has already happened. And one way you can underscore that that paradigm shift has happened is that we are having a conference with 1,200 people. Uh, in six different brick-and-mortar locations all across the globe, in Turkey, in Abu Dhabi, uh, in Ecuador. Uh, if you're uh, listening on the back channel and paying attention to the tweeting, people are writing in throughout all of these conversations. They're asking questions. They're exchanging information. They're pointing you in the direction of good resources they're volunteering to help. Now, part of this paradigm shift is that it puts us in a position to work together in ways that have never been possible before in human history. Now, what Paul and I want to stress to you, and you may be wondering, why are two writing teachers talking to us today? But Paul and I want to talk to you today about the fundamental changes that have taken place in reading, writing, learning, and thinking. These are fundamental changes. They're not incremental. These are not modest adjustments. They're fundamental changes. And the university and higher education itself, which has the secular responsibility in civil society of preparing citizens for the future, must adjust to these changes. And the adjustments will not be small. They're not incremental. They're not a matter of buying seats that you can plug your laptop into. We're talking about a fundamental change in the way you think about and understand what it means, what it means to teach other people how to think. Now, one of the things that's available to us now that has never been available before is that we can watch people as they're thinking. The mystery of schooling when I was a kid was how on earth does that professor know what he knows? What makes him so darn smart? And that's a legacy of when information was scarce. But all of the speakers today have stressed that information is no longer scarce. Right now, any one of you can access more information about Shakespeare than I could produce in my entire lifetime and you can do it instantaneously. You have the advantage in terms of access to information. What we can now see is we can watch people in real time thinking about the most pressing problems of our time. This allows us to collaborate in a way that's never been possible before in human history. So, um so as Richard said, we're both writing instructors. We're, uh, we're curious and uh, we think about how, how do we bring students to think about uh, the work of the academy uh, through their writing. And 
when we think about writing, we, th we think about, well, what, is it, what does it look like to write? Uh, what is, how do students, how do they work? What does writing look like? We have the ability now, as we've moved to cloud-based computing, to actually watch our students write. We can watch them in real time as they compose their thoughts, and we can bring that work into the classroom. So our writing program is, uh, the foundations are relatively straightforward, but they're somewhat revolutionary. We uh, bring our students to writing by confronting them with contemporary nonfiction prose. We challenge them to read the works of uh, contemporary thinkers from across the disciplines as they wrestle with the what we consider to be the central issues, the central problems of our time. Issues of globalization, issues of climate change, issues of the evolving nature of literacy in the 21st century. And then we challenge our students to make connections. We sequence these readings, and we challenge our students to make connections between these readings. And then we help them as they try to make sense out of these readings themselves, how they make knowledge. And that, we believe, is the work of the academy in every discipline, regardless of where you are. It's the, it's the creation of knowledge through, through making connection. We have the ability now, again, to watch our students as they're doing this. And for me, as a writing teacher, what's so fascinating is that we can see the connections that don't make it into their papers, that don't make it into their final papers. We can watch them as the, the ideas emerge, connections emerge, and then they delete them because they can't, they're not sure what to do with it. They, they find something, they see something, an implication, a, a, something in somebody's writing that sparks something, but they're, they're not sure what to do with it, and they delete it. We can now bring that into the class as, a, as part of the class discussion so that the, these emerging ideas become part of the work of the class. Now, for writing teachers and for teachers in general, this can be incredibly decentering because what we're talking about is challenging ideas of expertise and, and uh, mastery. What this means is that the classroom becomes a place that's fluid and flexible, that as students are working, the, the, the syllabus for a semester is much more fluid. There's no sense of mastery over, uh, over content. We're talking about writers who are dealing with open-ended questions, and we're bringing our students to think about those very same things. The, the key to learning how to write is not in producing your first draft. That's uh, making visible your own set of assumptions, your own ways of thinking about the world. You learn how to write by rewriting. And what is the abiding fiction in any writing class is the teacher says, now I want you to think about your audience. All of you have been told that by your teacher. And you all have the same thought. I am. It's you. <laughs> right? There is no audience for student writing. We have film classes that end with all the students saying, we want to see all the films that the kids have made. We don't have a single writing class that ends with everybody saying, hey, we want to read everybody's exams. <laughs> right? It doesn't happen. Okay? So how do you create an audience? The abiding fiction that has driven the conception of the writer as someone who works in isolation and has these great ideas can be erased by this technology which allows us to actually produce a real audience in real time for 
the work that students are producing. And what this also makes visible is the different ways in which people revise. Now, when I went to college, this was, uh, uh, you could only get the uh, Radio Shack TRS-80, if those of you go, remember that excellent machine. Uh, and so uh, computers were not part of the system. I wrote by hand, and I was what is called a perpetual first drafter. I would write. If I made an error on the first page, I would rip the page off, and I would begin rewriting exactly to produce the ideal first page. Because if I could con control the first page, I could control the paper. I could control everybody's thoughts. There's just one problem with that. And I didn't learn this until I left college. That's the way insane people write. <laughs> I had no idea. This is how I write. I'm writing in private. And I control everything. And there's no audience. Okay? But all of that can be changed by the appropriate deployment of this technology in the service of a pedagogy of creativity and collaboration. So what we see in this kind of revision is that, that you see students investing in their own work. That was a student's comment defending their own paper. Right? They, they defended the central thesis. And they were defending it against their fellow students. Right? These are peers coming in and talking about each other's writing and becoming invested in their writing and in their peers' writing. This is a kind of connected, networked writing that didn't exist until now. So it's, it's a way to get students not only to think about what they're writing about, but also what their classmates are writing about. During the course of the semester, I open up all of the papers to all of the students. They should see what their fellow classmates are writing. They should see how their fellow classmates are dealing with these, the, what we're, again, considering the central issues of our time. There's no right answer to these questions. There's ways of working through them. There's ways of being understood. We, we know it's a frightening uh, proposition to invite students into the process of writing in public. Um, just as much as thinking in public is scary. The USA Today listed that the scariest thing, again, as always, that people list what they're most afraid of is speaking in public. Because you could humiliate yourself. You could show yourself to be inarticulate. So thinking in public is so risky. Uh, the old model of mastery said, I'm the master of the content, and I will profess to you my expertise, and you will all take notes, and that's what we will call education. But education isn't that anymore. All the information is out there available. The work is producing connections. Thought is simply the act of connecting things. And writing is a technology for extending human thought. It allows us to make connections that we would not otherwise be able to make that we would not otherwise see. So what we see in, in uh, writers uh, now is a way of, of writing for, uh, for, for mass audiences that's using the technology in fundamentally new ways. You're looking at uh, a piece that's written with hyperlinks, which of course, for, for those of us who are, who are used to the web, is nothing new. But this is a new way of, of, of hyperlinking, a new way of thinking about how, uh, how 
to write. This author is connecting to uh, the, the, the thoughts and ideas of others to other issues, and he's creating for us the landscape that he worked through as he tried to think through this idea. Now, there was, a, for me, a, a, a piece that was published in the Chronicle of Higher Education about two, three weeks ago that I thought was really kind of uh, disturbing. And it was a piece where a humanist dealt with this particular writer and was critiquing his phrasing. And I thought, this is an author who's dealing week to week with the issues of our time and is a central driving force in the public discourse. And humanists at the academy are taking issue with what he, how he's saying it instead of what he's saying. We want to bring our students to think through how this writer is connecting thoughts and ideas, right? how he's working through a particular problem. So again, this is, this is a decentering idea because we're bringing the students to think about this is how this author is working through one of the, one of, one of the central problems of our time or, or an important issue of our time, week to week. The, the challenge that uh, students face and the question we get as writing teachers all the time is, well, how do you direct students to uh, the appropriate sites to be working from? How do you get them to use good sources? Um, one of the values of, of presenting them with a professional writer uh, who produces an op-ed piece every week is to demonstrate that in the current context what it means to read is that you read broadly and that doesn't simply mean you read broadly in the library print text but you you search uh, global news media sources you use Twitter you use uh, the historic archives of the New York Times. What it means to be thoughtful is to master an archive that's always evolving in front of you. What does it mean to be thoughtful? You make connections, and you make those connections visible to your readership. The challenge we feel, uh, the, one of the most daunting challenges we feel, that we face as teachers is to have students uh, become engaged readers. You heard the statistic uh, uh, that Kurt provided earlier about uh, the number of hours a day that students spend multitasking. One of the challenges of getting people to produce thoughtful work and rich connections is that they need to be working in an environment that isn't riddled with distraction, where they aren't constantly being buzzed and bleated and uh, tagged, uh, and they have a moment to be focused. Um, so we try to get students to focus, and we do that by beginning our courses with foundational anchor print texts. We use new media but it's extremely important to us that we teach print within that context. Print is a technology that can allow you to focus your mind. Multitasking is a vital skill today, but it is not necessarily a, a, a significantly useful one for producing deep understanding. And we want to begin with a foundational text that will ground students in the seriousness 
of the problems of our time. All of the problems of our time come with an adjective that those of us who are middle-aged never had to deal with when we were kids, and that's global. Global economic collapse, global climate change, a global collapse of the political system and the war on terror. How do we get students to think in front of problems that are open-ended and for which there are no answers? You can't go and type into Google and say, how end terrorism? Right? There's no answer to that question. The answer will be created by the education that we provide. Increasingly, the classes that we're teaching have uh, the, the syllabi evolve during the course of the sem semester. So as Richard said, we begin with foundational texts. Uh, and, and as we saw, we have the ability now to not only look at what these thinkers are writing and how they're writing it, but we can actually bring them into our classroom. We can bring lectures. We can have these people speak to our classroom. But these foundational texts provide for, for our students an example of a, of a, of a, uh, of a contemporary thinker dealing with a multivariant problem. And then the students start to create their own syllabus. So they, they're putting together in the open, together, the readings for their class. So they're, they're taking this point of departure, which the foundational texts provide, and they're creating their own syllabus from there. What are the readings that are generated by these foundational readings, by these initial readings? Where do they go? Right? So this is how we bring our students into research. This is how we bring them into reading. So it's not only that we, can, uh, that, that we have access to this information, but we actually have to teach our students how to read. How do we teach students how to read? With a collaboratively produced syllabus that's produced in real time over the course of a semester, that captures the challenge teachers face because you're not the master of the syllabus. The syllabus emerges under your direction as you train students to bring valuable resources into the classroom. And then you teach them how to read by using uh, any one of the variety of uh, products available online where you can comment on the material that's presented to your students. And then they can comment. And you can comment back and the other students can comment. And the fundamental work of the university, which is to produce discussions that are open-ended and thoughtful, is modeled for the students 24-7. This syllabus and this conversation is no longer bound by the traditional class period. It happens when the students sit down to do their reading. So there's a value to this, and the value is that we can turn the student's attention to the most pressing problems of our time, problems for which there are no answers, but problems for which we must model a way of thinking that can provide productive responses. A recent poll said one out of 10 Americans believes that environmentalists caused the oil spill in the Gulf, one out of 10. Uh, we have a vitriolic, divisive discourse in our country. And if you go online and you look at the creative work that's being done without the value added of higher education, 
you'll find that the dominant discourse is parody. What can I make fun of? We need to model in the university what it means to stare down problems that are too big for any one of us to think, too big for any one discipline to master, but problems that we must solve because they're problems on a scale unprecedented in human history. The value of this technology is that it allows us to do what writing allows us to do, to extend the power of human thought, and it enables collaboration and creativity. Thank you. Thank you.